Let's take our Bibles this evening and turn to the Old Testament preacher named Joel. The Old Testament minor prophet of Joel. Last week we began to look at Joel. I had intended just to spend the one message on Joel, but decided then that we needed to take a second glance at the message that this preacher had. We've just sung some songs about how wonderful Jesus Christ is to us. You know, God gives us great hope, doesn't He? He fills us with hope. Hope is a key word in our Bible that helps us in spite of the situations that we're in. We have hope. Because God paints a beautiful, glorious picture of how He helps us in times of difficulty and in eternity. And the Old Testament preachers, they were very, um, they were very honest about sin and judgment. They didn't shy away from preaching about sin and judgment. But they always held out hope. And that's a tremendous lesson that I learned and that we learn from Bible preachers is that even though sin is a reality and judgment is inevitable, that there is always held out for us hope from God. And that's one of the things we learn from the book of Joel. Last week we learned that Joel is all about, a lot of the book of Joel is about judgment and Joel was going through, Israel was going through during Joel's lifetime, a a time of real judgment. And God was using a devastating plague of locusts to have just annihilate, just destroy the the agrarian culture of Israel. And had left them destitute. Uh, Four waves of locusts had stripped their country bare of all greenery, of bark off all trees, uh, leaving them and their livestock totally helpless and hopeless. And yet Joel saw in that the, the faithfulness of God doing what he said he would do. Because a hundred years before that devastating locust plague, God had told Solomon that, uh, that he was going to bless Israel as a result of Israel's obedience to him. But he said if Israel ceases to obey him, that he would judge them. And he listed a number of ways that he would judge Israel. One of them was devastating locust plagues. So God told Solomon and the people of Israel that he would judge them using locusts if they turned their back on God. And That's the context of that great revival verse that we've memorized. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from all the way up in heaven, I'll hear your prayer, I'll forgive your sin, I'll heal your land. And that great promise that God made, He had made a hundred years before Joel's life. And so Joel is now living through the devastating Effects of the judgment of God. And he was honest to the people. He said, God is judging you. This is your fault. You sinned. 
You did not take God seriously. You are getting what you deserve. And God is faithful to his promise to judge you with locusts. And that's where the book of Joel opens up in the first couple of uh, the first chapter mainly. And in that chapter, we learn that God gave one of the amazing uh, passages on on repentance as the only answer for a people who are in rebellion against God and being judged by God. And and Joel spelled out for them what repentance is and and what God does as a result of repentance. And then Joel said, now if you don't heed God's judgment and repent, then blow the trumpet, there's another plague of locusts coming our way. And it was imminent. And in the second chapter of Joel, Joel told about an imminent plague of locusts that were going to be upon them if they didn't repent of their sin as a nation. And he announced and he described the locust plague. And those who study insects and study locust plagues have noted that the description that Joel gave in Joel 2 is amazingly descriptive of a, an actual locust and what they do when they come in in devastating numbers and strip a land of all of its greenery. Joel called the locust God's army, which brings God into the equation as the one who perpetrates judgment. People shy away from God as a judge in today's culture. Joel was not afraid. To be honest and straightforward, the locusts are God's judgment. They're God's army. God sent them. They are His army doing this to you. Joel was very straightforward. One thing we learn from Bible preachers is that they were bold in dealing with people about the person and character of God and the nature of sin that brings judgment and the catastrophe judgment brings into their lives. And again, in chapter 2, Joel described even in more detail than he did in chapter 1 what repentance is. As he called Israel to repent. And he described uh, a, a process of calling a solemn assembly and bring in the entire family, even the infants and the children and the old people and everybody get together fast. Give this a high priority, more important than your meals. And get on your faces before God and repent of the sin that we have committed as individuals and as a nation. And he went into great detail about what it means to have genuine heartbrokenness and genuine repentance before God. And then Joel announced that if you do this, God will act. And I just remind you in, um, in Joel chapter 2 and in verse number 20, Joel said if you'll do that, God will remove Far off from you, the northern army, this army of locusts who had moved down from the north. God said, I will remove them. Verse 21 ends, the Lord will do great things. Verse 23 at the end, he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, the latter rain. In verse 25, I will restore to you the years 
that the locusts have eaten, the canker worm, the caterpillar, the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. God said, I will restore what it took away from you. I will give you back what my judgment stripped you of if you will repent. And then finally in verse 27, Joel announced to the people that they would know that God, he's quoting God, for ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and none else and my people shall never be ashamed. Great hope is held out. Hope that God will restore what was taken away in judgment. Hope that we would once again prosper and we would not be under devastation. Hope that once again life will be good. Remember in chapters 1 and 2, he said joy was stripped from the country. They, they had no joy. The sound of music and happiness and laughter was stripped from the country. All was gloom and doom and weeping and wailing because of the extent of the devastation that was going to leave them without food for months, up to a year without food. And the devastation was so pronounced that joy was totally stripped from the land. But hope was held out. Hope, if you repent, God will restore and you will know that God is God and none else is God. Well, that brought us down to the end of the second phase of Joel's message. They had had a locust plague. If they don't repent, they are about to have a second locust plague unleashed. And then Joel takes the opportunity, and this is common in so many of the preachers of the Bible, he took the opportunity to look out into the far distant future for the nation of Israel and to announce to them that there is yet future judgment from God, but it's not going to be directed to them. It's going to be directed to their enemies. And so he holds out hope to the nation of Israel that in spite of all the problems and all the, the persecution that you continue to experience, there's coming a day. When God is going to destroy all of your enemies, Israel, and you will live under the glistening sun of God's favor, and there is great hope for you, the nation of Israel. And that's what he picks up with in chapter 2, verse 28, and goes through the end of the book. He speaks to them about the judgment from God that will come later, but that will be directed to Israel's enemies. We learned last week that the phrase day of the Lord is a common phrase for a period of judgment. It's used five times in the book of Joel. It's used to both the locust plagues that they were facing in Joel's lifetime. It was also used of the tribulation period that was going to be at the end of Israel's uh, earthly history that is yet still future history to us today. And that also is called the day of the Lord, a period of judgment. And so this judgment from God is going to come. Verse number 28, it shall come to pass afterwards. And you've heard people say, I'm glad that the Bible contains the phrase, and it came to pass. Whatever the problem, whatever the heartache, whatever the trial, it will pass. 
And it will come to pass that God's victory and His hope and His blessing is held out there in our future, even during times of difficulty. He goes with us even through that horrible valley of the shadow of death. Now, in, in chapter 2, uh, verse number 28 to the end of chapter 2, I want you to notice that there uh, are a couple of things that God uh, pours out, He speaks of as coming out in this time of future judgment. And you see on your notes, there are two things. Number one is the outpouring of the Spirit. And number two is the final judgment of the nations. These are two critical things that are going to happen in the future that are held out as hope for the future. First is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that will come upon the people. Verse number 28 says, It shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And uh, also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days I will pour out my Spirit. I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth. Blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness. The moon into blood. Before the great and terrible day of the Lord come, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Now, God mentions here the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There will be, at some point in Israel's future, a time when God is going to pour out the Holy Spirit on the nation of Israel in the way described by Joel. It's going to have a remarkable effect upon the Jewish people preaching, witnessing, holding out the truths of God to others. He talks about them seeing dreams, visions, uh, prophesying, uh, wonders, all, all these things that are going to come. Your, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. That is to proclaim or to preach. Your old men shall dream dreams. All, that there's going to be a pouring out of the Holy Spirit that is going to activate the people of Israel to be involved in the propagating of the truth of God. Accompanying that spirit of evangelistic activity will come signs in the heavens. The moon will be turned to blood. The, the sun will be darkened. Uh, there's this description of, uh, of events in the heavens, in the planetary orbits of, of the planetary bodies, that is going to be devastating, dramatic. It's never happened before. It's going to get everyone's attention all over the world. And it's related to the Holy Spirit being poured out on the Jewish nation, the Hebrew nation, and their evangelistic activity all over the world. This outpouring of the Spirit is going to result in great evangelism. Verse 32, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. There's going to be great uh, deliverance from God that's going to come upon the people. Now, all of that language sounds really familiar from the book of Revelation, doesn't it? The moon being turned to blood, the sun darkened, the evangelism, the worldwide Jewish evangelism. The book of Revelation adds a lot of detail to it. The 144,000 uh, Jewish evangelists, the, the, the number of people that will get saved during the tribulation period. Now, all related to the Holy Spirit being poured out on the nation of Israel during the tribulation period. God is, through Joel... Holding out hope for Israel. Regardless how bad it gets, 
realize the day is coming where God's going to pour out His Holy Spirit upon us as a nation. And we are going to be used of God to bring deliverance to the world. Now, you know, I'm sure you're aware, as a student of the Word of God, that Peter quoted this passage of Scripture on the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came upon the assembled uh, gathering of the Christians that had been waiting for God to empower them for world evangelism, the Spirit of God was poured out upon them, and Peter got up and preached a sermon. And at the end of that sermon, 3,000 souls got saved. And in that sermon, Peter quoted this passage from Joel. And he quoted about the Holy Spirit being poured out and the evangelism that would take place as a result of the Holy Spirit being poured out. Now, the, there are those who, because of Peter quoting that passage on the day of Pentecost, and because of the details of what the passage says, there are those who teach in Christianity today that we should have ongoing revelation. The Bible's not complete. We should have ongoing revelation with men, with, with old men dreaming dreams, and, and we should have men and women preaching and prophesying uh, truth. We should have uh, all of these things that are specifically noted here in this passage. We should be having them accomplished. On the day of Pentecost, a big thing that occurred on that day was the speaking in tongues. That's not mentioned in the Joel prophecy, but it happened on the day of Pentecost. And so there are those who, on the basis of Peter quoting Joel's prophecy, they say that what happened on the day of Pentecost should become the standard for all evangelism and Christian activity from that day forward. Uh, additional revelation, uh, prophesying, uh, men and women prophesying, um, speaking in tongues, all of these things should be normative because Peter quoted Joel mentioning from this passage some of those things. There are others who have not agreed with that application of the sermon Peter preached on the day of Pentecost because the moon did not turn to blood. The sun did not go dark. There were not signs in the planetary in the heavens that matched the fulfillment. So many Christians have taught that Peter quoting Joel was not stating that on the day of Pentecost we have a full fulfillment of what Joel said would happen when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the nation of Israel, culminating in the evangelism of the world and the second coming of Christ and the establishment of God's kingdom, all the judgments and all the events of the end of the tribulation period. But rather, Joel was noting that as, uh, or Peter was noting that as Joel had preached, that there would be a time when the Holy Spirit would be poured out. And, and there would be dramatic things happen. There's been a pouring out of the Holy Spirit today, and dramatic things have happened today. But falling short of claiming that Joel's prophecy was fulfilled because there was no turning of the moon to blood, there was no darkening of the sun, and other things that Joel said would happen, and that Peter quoted in his sermon would happen with that uh, pouring out of the Holy Spirit.
Now, I've shown this to you before, but let me show it to you again, this chart. It's on the back of your uh, little handout. According to the, the uh, prophecy of Daniel 77s, there was a specific and a detailed time frame of prophecy that would culminate in the Messiah being cut off, followed by seven years that would culminate in the Messiah coming back and establishing his kingdom. Had Israel accepted Jesus as their Messiah, when Jesus was crucified, the tribulation period would have begun. It was the 70th seven of Daniel's prophecy of 70 weeks or 77s. If Israel had accepted Christ as the Messiah, the immediate seven years after the crucifixion of Christ would have been the seven-year tribulation period. And then Jesus would have returned back. And the 77s of Daniel's prophecy would have been fulfilled in its entirety. And had that been the case, the Holy Spirit being poured out after the crucifixion of Christ would have inaugurated the tribulation period, the time of Jacob's trouble, during which the moon would have turned to blood and the sun would have been darkened and the Jewish nation would have gone out as evangelists, evangelizing the world of the Gentiles as we read in the book of Revelation. And then Jesus would have come back at the end of that seven years to establish his kingdom. That's what Daniel's prophecy envisioned. But we know that Israel rejected their Messiah and they put him to death. This second chart shows you what we understand Daniel's 70 weeks or 77's prophecy is what's happening with that. When the Messiah was crucified as a rejected Messiah from Israel, God put his whole time frame on hold. And there has been an undisclosed period of time. An undisclosed period of time in the Bible is called a mystery. And so there is a mystery in the New Testament, which is something that was not revealed to the prophets in the Old Testament. That's what a mystery is. It's something that was not told in the past. So it's a mystery to us because we don't have it in our Bible in the Old Testament explaining what's happening right now. And so when the mystery age of the church age began, God took the Apostle Paul, took him out to the Arabian desert, and Jesus Christ schooled Paul in the mystery of the church age. And God used Paul to write the portions of the New Testament that reveal the mystery of the church age. We call them the church epistles. They are the epistles written to churches explaining the mystery of this age that we didn't know was going to happen, that was not a part of Old Testament prophecy. We don't know how long it's going to last. We just know that we're living in a time which God has put the pause button on the program, the eschatological program revealed by the Old Testament prophets, and we are in this undisclosed period of time, and at some point in time, God will take the pause button off, and at that moment, the seven-year tribulation period will begin. And during that seven-year tribulation period, 
exactly what Joel prophesied or what Joel preached in Joel chapter 2 will happen in its entirety. The Holy Spirit will be poured out on the nation of Israel. The Israelite people will go out as evangelists all over the world. There will be a great evangelism of Jew and Gentile alike. And uh, it will culminate in the nations of the world trying to annihilate Israel. Jesus will show up. The Jews will be saved. Those who put their trust in the Messiah when he appears and that had been preaching this gospel during the tribulation period. The nations of the world that rejected God and God's people Israel will be destroyed. And the tribulation period will end in a world, worldwide uh, uh, battle, a horrendous battle that Joel then describes in chapter 3. And Joel chapter 3 is all about this judgment of the nations. Now, let me just mention one other thing real quick here. Um, this idea that, that Joel said when the Holy Spirit poured out these things are going to happen and then it didn't happen just like that. Do you remember in, in uh, Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus Christ, uh, Matthew chapter 11, I'm sorry, when Jesus Christ uh, had been approached by the disciples of John the Baptist, uh, they had been with John the Baptist at where he was in jail, Fort Machiris, on the, on the east bank of the uh, Dead Sea, and, uh, and John was doubting, and he sent his disciples, said, go find Jesus up in the Galilee and ask him, are you he that should come or look we for another? They found Jesus. They said, Jesus, John sent us. Your cousin sent us to ask you, are you really the Messiah or should we be looking for someone else? Jesus answered him, them, sent them away. And then Jesus told the group that had been a been party to that conversation, said, you know, there's never been anyone greater than John the Baptist. Greatest preacher. And, and as a matter of fact, if the people had received it, John the Baptist was Elijah. What's that about? Well, the book of Malachi ends in chapter 3, verse 1, and again at the end of, of, of the last chapter of Malachi, chapter 4, the book of Malachi announces that, be, that the Messiah will be introduced by Elijah. That Elijah, the prophet Elijah, will be the forerunner that will introduce the Messiah. And so, when, is, when Jesus is saying, I'm the Messiah, he was questioned, where's Elijah? And Jesus said, if the people will receive it, John the Baptist is Elijah. But because Israel rejected Jesus Christ, John the Baptist did not fulfill the prophecy of Malachi in the coming of Elijah. It's the same thing as since Israel rejected Christ, the fullness of Joel's prophecy was not at that point fulfilled in its entirety. Because Israel rejected the Messiah. And so, the, the, um, uh, Joel's prophecy will be fulfilled in its entirety, but we still await that tribulation period coming in which that will be fulfilled in its entirety. Now, the last part of the book of Joel, we won't go through it all, obviously, but uh, just so that you'll know, uh, this is the announcement of God's judgment on the nations. It's the final judgment of the nations Chapter 3, verse 1 says, For behold, in those days, what days? The days that he had just described of the Holy Spirit being poured out, the moon turning to blood, the sun being darkened, and great evangelism. In those days, 
And in that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. The word plead, the old word plead, speaks of judgment, of God judging the nations. God is announcing through Joel that the day is going to come when God is going to bring the nations of the world into the valley of Jehoshaphat, not to plead with them to believe Him, not to plead with them to make a salvation decision. He's bringing them there to execute judgment upon them. He's there to plead on behalf of Israel and execute judgment on the Gentiles that had rejected God's purpose and God's plan. So what we have in chapter 3, your notes kind of just have some reference to it. The people that are judged are mentioned, all those who, were, who had come against Israel. The place of judgment is the valley of Jehoshaphat. The purpose of the judgment in verse number 2 and verse number 3 is to punish those who had attacked Israel. And then he proclaims judgment in, in the verses that ensue. I want you to notice that, that the judgment comes because of what they did in verse number 2. He said that you have scattered my people and parted my land. To me that is extremely important because God is going to judge the nations that were a part of scattering the Jews all over the world and then dividing up their land and giving it away. Which means any nation that supports giving away the real estate of the land of Israel to other nations and people are going to be targeted by God for judgment because they parted God's land. Now when you go back and read the boundaries of God's land, it's from the Mediterranean to the Euphrates River, it's from uh, Lebanon all the way down to the Red Sea. A lot of that land does not belong to Israel today. It's been divided up and given away to other nations. And God is announcing here that when the final judgment comes, there is going to be a great worldwide battle where He'll gather the nations of the world together to the Valley of Jehoshaphat. And there God is going to execute judgment against the nations that scattered Israel upon the earth and that parted His land. And when they divide up the land of Israel and give it to other nations, that puts them on the wrong side of God for the time of God's eventual judgment. If you'll just come down to the end, verse number 13, God says of this battle, when He draws all of them into the valley of Jehoshaphat, He says, put it ye in the sickle, the harvest is ripe, come and get you down, for the press is full, the vats... The fats overflow, their, judge, their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon shall be darkened, the stars shall withdraw their shining. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter His voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of His people and the strength of the children of Israel." Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. What valley is this? 
This is the valley of Jehoshaphat. This is where God is going to bring the final battle against the nations that divided Israel's land and that scattered God's people Israel. This is not an invitation verse saying multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision and there's people here trying to decide to reject Christ. Or No, this is not an evangelistic verse. When the Bible says there are multitudes in the valley of decision, the word decision means to cut. It was used of threshing grain. To cut or to thresh. God brings the nations in the world together to cut them down. To mow them down. He's going to put in the sickle of judgment and destroy them. Multitudes, multitudes are in the valley of cutting. The valley of threshing. The valley of judgment. Where God is going to judge the nations of the world for what they did to the nation of Israel. And yet, in all of that, God said that he will be the hope of his people and the strength of his children. And then he ends the book of Joel with a great statement that Israel is going to be restored, that the world is going to be judged, and Israel will be cleansed. The last verse of Joel says, I will cleanse their blood that I have not cleansed, for the Lord dwelleth in Zion, which is a... Which is a um, links to the new, co- the new covenant in the, in the Old Testament preachers. The new covenant was the covenant in the blood of Christ. It was the, the uh, stripping away of the covenant of works to earn your salvation. That only proved that you were sinners. The new covenant is the covenant where God takes out the fleshly heart and replaces it, or takes out the stony heart and replaces it with a heart of flesh, where he takes out the... the um, the, the rebellion against God and replaces it with obedience to God. It is the essence. It's salvation. It's the, what Jesus talked about in the upper room when he talked about his death on the cross was the new covenant in my blood. It was the covenant of salvation. That's what's going to happen at the end of the tribulation period with all the Jews that are left. At the end of the tribulation, every Jew will be saved. The new covenant will birth them into the family of God and they will be cleansed. Great comparison to Revelation chapter 21, where God says of that assembled Jewish people, you are my people and I am your God. So Joel is a book of hope. It's honest about judgment. It's honest about the catastrophe of judgment. But it's a book of hope because judgment is not necessary. If we repent, we can avert judgment. If we repent, we can have the blessings and the hope of God. And that's what Old Testament preachers continually held out to the people of God. That you can repent and you can enjoy the blessings of God. And that is your hope. By the way, just, uh, for, in, in, just for interest's sake, uh, here's some pictures that we took when we were over in... Uh, let's see. Let, let's go back. Go back just for a second. This is, this is Israel... And this is the Antichrist army, the Antichrist army from the, uh, the Ten Nation Confederacy, the Southern Army, the Northern Army, and the Eastern Army will all convulge, uh, converge on uh, Israel. Uh, when God brings them all together, God invites the vultures of the world to come to eat all the flesh uh, that'll be dead flesh that'll be there. Next picture is again the um, the the, the uh, distance from Megiddo, the Valley of Megiddo. Down to uh, Edom, Edomia, 
is 200 miles. There's a 200-mile battlefield where this battle will take place. Next slide, please. Uh, here's a picture looking at the valley of Jehoshaphat, the valley of Megiddo, standing up uh, in the northern part of Israel when our group was there. Here's another picture from another angle. Here's John Colantoni uh, up in the, um, in the visitor place, uh, listening to the preacher talk about it. Uh, this, this is the, the battleground where this uh, great conflagration will occur. And here's Suresh. We'll get Suresh in there as well. Here's Suresh. Uh, he, he became a mighty uh, warrior riding a, a war chariot uh, to go and, and fight. I hope you're on the wrong side, uh, Shoresh, in, in that final battle. But anyway, that's, that's all going to happen. And it's all told to God's people for the purpose of hope. Hope that no matter how bad it gets, no matter how hard it is, hope is always available from God to repentant people. And God will save Israel from their enemies.